Well, good morning. Uh, very good to be back. It is uh, such a privilege to be here with you guys. So many familiar faces and old friends. And so it's just a great, great privilege to be here. As Kennedy mentioned, uh, I did attend high school uh, in the Beaverton area and came to this church during that time. And uh, the last time I was on this stage, I was actually dressed as Joseph, the father of Jesus. <laughs> As Kennedy mentioned, I had hair, uh, but I do take some comfort. It wasn't so long ago that Kennedy also had hair, so there's good, yeah, that's good, that's good. It's been good um, to be back in Oregon. We've been here for about three or four weeks now. It's been nice to see green and not be in a Chicago winter. That has been a huge privilege, and I wanted to come this morning to share about the direction that God has called my wife Heather and I to. And uh, before I get to France specifically, uh, I wanted to share a little bit about our backgrounds. There's some unfamiliar faces here, so I wanted to introduce us a little bit. The um, Yeah, so my parents were actually missionaries in France as well. I was born there. This particular picture haunted me for a good long time growing up. <laughs> We used to send prayer cards, and I would come home to the States, and there I was on refrigerators and dishwashers and all kinds of other things. Uh, Terry Hickman, Dan's dad, calls it their uh, Western Wailing Wall. I love that picture. <laughs> My parents were there for about 15 years in France. After that, they moved to Germany. We were there for an additional seven. I was born about halfway through the French stint, and I lived in Europe until I was 14. It was an eye-opening experience. You get a very international perspective. You kind of see beyond uh, maybe a traditional if you lived in just one country growing up. And I'm very grateful for the experience. These are my parents. Many of you know them. If you don't, they're just wonderful. I'm so grateful for them. Uh, That is a traditional German countryside behind them. It was very hard to leave. It was a beautiful place. uh, And we were just so grateful for the welcome that we got here when we did come. This is Heather's family. I snuck in about three and a half years ago when we married. Uh, her parents are a pretty dynamic couple. They left their lives in California and decided to start a coffee shop ministry in Idaho. Heather will often tell you that she uh, felt like a pastor's kid growing up, even though she wasn't. Her parents were just that plugged into church. And it's a huge legacy to walk into. Her parents have now planted a church in this small town in Idaho and are really reaching to the people who are on the fringes of society, giving them a place to belong. It is really, really cool what they're doing. Heather grew up uh, in, in high school. She received a call to do missions. So this is a picture of several trips that she did uh, in four separate countries, and she just got a taste for international life. Both of us growing up really got a vision for what we see in Revelation chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 9. It's just one verse. I'll read it. And it says, the John is writing here, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes, with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. These international experiences 
for us helped us catch the vision of this huge crowd standing before the throne. And can you even wait for that moment when we get to stand and we get to sing and we get to worship the one who has made all of this happen and the one who has saved the world? We watch a lot of Marvel movies, but very few Marvel characters can claim to save the whole world. Usually it's just a region. And Jesus has that claim, and boy does he deserve it. And we are so grateful to be partnering with Christ on his mission to make that settled truth a realized truth in the lives of people we will meet. I have an interesting task. I have to stand and talk about something that we're called to. But I just want to say... It is absolutely all about him. We have been doing this in response to God, and we want to go partnered with God. And so I just hope that at the end, with me, you will be worshiping God at what he's doing in the world. After our high school experiences, we realized, you know what? We need some more training. We feel called to ministry, but we need to uh, beefen up our muscles. And so we decided to go to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. It was a very formative, formative time. Heather graduated in 2018. I was a little behind her, and I graduated in 2021. It was a great, great time. We learned so much, and Chicago is a very big city. Uh, after our time at Moody, we started asking, all right, what's next, God? You have placed us here. Uh, we've done the training. Where do you want us to go? And as a result, we got in touch with some missionary friends of ours. They recommended looking into a couple of opportunities. We followed those up. And thing after thing led to us joining with a mission called Pioneers International. That's us at the headquarters down in August. Don't recommend Florida in August, but there we were, grinning through the sweat. And it is a fantastic ministry. We're delighted to be a part of them. They are a team-based ministry that focuses on unreached people groups. So they go to places where there are so few Christians, there's not a viable effort to keep church planting, or there's no Christians. They go to the places where um, you need to translate the Bible and plant the church for the very first time. It's an exciting organization. We're thrilled to be a part of it, and we are excited to see what God does going forward. Heather and I have specifically felt called to go to the country of France. It is an exciting opportunity, something we are looking forward to. If you don't know where France is, there it is. It's wedged right between Spain and kind of the rest of mainland Europe. It is at a crossroads, and it is an exciting place because it is at a crossroads. And I'll get into that a little bit more later, but it is a unique geographic location, and I think there's some huge potential that comes about as a result of it. So I lead youth group, uh, and I, I'm used to a little audience participation here, so you're going to have to work with me. Be brave. Um, what comes to mind when you think of France? If you have something, just go ahead and shout it out. Croissant. Oh, croissant. Yes. Thank you, Isaiah. Anything else? What was that? Eiffel Tower. Anti-America. Yes. There, that, not everyone, but some. Spiritually dead. Yes. Cheese, excellent choice. 
Yeah, I mean, all of these things are right on. I'll, I'll show you a couple things that came to mind for me. The cafe scene is vibrant in France. This is a cute little Parisian cafe. Wonderful place to stop and get some uh, coffee and some baked goods. Uh, someone mentioned the Eiffel Tower. They didn't mention breakfast overlooking the Eiffel Tower, but there you have it right there. You might have thought of some large cathedrals, and France has lots of them. Lots of beautiful, beautiful churches with no one in them. Uh, someone mentioned cheese. I didn't hear bakeries. Uh, my mouth is watering now, so I, I did that to myself. But their baked goods are excellent. The croissant, Isaiah, nicely done. Or if you have a historical bent, you might have gone for the French Revolution. This is the storming of the Bastille. And all of these things are true about France. All of these things are very true. They have great food, beautiful sights, a colorful history. But there's also another side of the coin, and that's going to be the religious demographics. So I'll just walk through this a little bit with you. Um, We'll start with this non-religious group, about 23%. Almost a quarter of the country claim atheism as their way of life. Very few countries do this. Uh, They're mostly all in Europe, but these people really say the material world, what I see, what I feel is all there is, and that's what I have to be fulfilled by. And I don't know about you, But I have tried to be fulfilled with the material world, and there's just nothing for me there. And so I have a huge heart for these people, because these people are looking and they're looking, and they're never going to find the answer where they're looking. And so I'm excited to work with uh, secular and atheistic people and show them maybe there is something beyond what you can see. This other religious group, that's usually going to be an indicator of the immigrants from the Southeast Asia kind of areas. They've come into France, you know, your Buddhism and your Hindus. However, I do remember a conversation with a French national, and she was seriously a French worshiper. Or, uh, I'm sorry, a sun worshiper. And she, it was just this battle. She really believed the sun was God, and she worshiped the sun. So you have some kind of interesting things happening there. And then with the Catholic Church, 50 It's kind of a deceiving statistic, because if you read into French religious uh, life, you see that really only about 5% of the country goes to church more than once a month. So that's Catholic and Protestant. So obviously, they might say they're Catholic, but really what they've come away with is this understanding that there is about nothing more to God than getting baptized when you're a child, maybe married in the church, maybe last rites, maybe. And then beyond that, God doesn't have any significance in your life. How tragic. How tragic. God has so much significance, and he is a daily part, and he can be so rich. And that is what I want to see for these people. So I have a huge heart for the Catholics as well. You have this uh, Islamic uh, population as well. These are usually Muslims who immigrate from North Africa, uh, former French colonies very often. And the great thing about this is these are usually people coming from closed countries. And so there is a huge opportunity to reach these people where we can't even go to their countries, but they can come to us. And then you're left with us, the people sitting in this room, the evangelicals, 1.1%. Not a lot. Not a lot of people. And so I'm excited because I think that this, this wheel presents potential. It presents opportunity. It's dark. There's a lot of uh, room for the enemy to move. But I think Jesus has him beat. So I'm excited to see what's going to happen going forward. 
France is a mission field. Luke 10.2 says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out harvesters. Uh, Heather and I pray this frequently. And I just want to say, if any of you feel the tug, Europe needs people to come. Europe needs people to share the love of Jesus. We can't do it our own. So if you at all feel a call, a tug, please consider going to Europe. We do consider France as a field ripe for harvest. I want to focus on two aspects of this. The first is you're getting a significant refugee and immigrant population. Uh, you have people immigrating from the Middle East and North Africa. And what immigrants typically need most, besides their, their um, food and water and things like that, is friends. They need friendship. Immigrants are typically some of the loneliest people. And so it's not hard to be a friend to, to people. And uh, we look forward to the potential of, of working with folks who are lonely and giving them hope giving them friendship, and showing them that Jesus is ultimately the ultimate friend. There's stories about Syrian refugees that have come through, and they have said, you know what? As we were traveling through Europe, getting to our final destination, it was the Christians who loved us. It was the Christians who took care of us. Not even the other Muslims. It was the Christians. So there is a lot of foundation laid to kind of reach this population. I want to share a story about a woman named Sarah. She's an Algerian woman. She grew up in Algeria, married, and then emigrated to France with her husband. When she was in France, as a lonely person does, she's reaching out to connect with people, and she met some Christians. They witnessed to her. They evangelized. She became wonderfully, wonderfully saved, absolutely on fire for Jesus. And as a result, she said, I gotta, I gotta live this Christian life. And her husband said, you know what? I'm Muslim. I can't live with you anymore. And he divorced her. But that did not stop Sarah. She kept going. In fact, she joined crew, um, and started smuggling Bibles back into Algeria, discipling women and taking frequent trips back from France to her home country, a country that as a Westerner and someone who's there to do missions would have a very difficult time getting into. And here she is, media access, reaching people we would never be able to reach and doing it so faithfully for the last 15 to 20 years. It's stories like that that get us so excited. What is the potential of reaching Europe? I think the potential of reaching Europe means reaching the world. It is such a crossroads for the East and the West and even the South. And there is just so much... Uh, This is just a perfect example of what happens if you reach one place, the ripple effects, who knows? Who knows what could happen? Who knows? There's also, believe it or not, a lot of French people in France. Um, They are also a people deeply in need of Jesus. As I mentioned before, France is quite a secular country, very atheistic. And so there is just a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to share that, you know what? There is so much more to life than what we see and encounter every day. I just want to go through uh, some examples of what the state of the church is like in France. Some of the re- some of the things that burdened us for going to France. These images, there's about seven of them, are from a French website that the churches have put together and they show you the stats for how many churches are in in each region and then I did a little bit of easy math and found some per capita and I went to Bible school but I remembered that from high school so that's good Um, and so 
I'll just kind of list off what we see here and show you what's going on for the church in France right now. Uh, Paris is its own region geographically. It has about 200 churches in it, which is really quite good for the French church situation. In the whole, in the country as a whole, you have about 2,500 churches. All right. And so, uh, that's a, um, at, when I first heard that, that was a really great statistic. I was like, whoa, that's, I'm surprised there's that many. Um, in reality though, that's about one church for every 26,000 people. In Oregon, you have about one church for every 2,000 people. So as unchurched as we call Portland, and as much as we say the city needs Jesus, and it does, there are just far more opportunities for people to get plugged into local believer, local communities of believers than there are in France. So Paris is about one church for every 10,000 people, which as far as France goes is really quite good. This next region is the Bouches-du-Rhône. This is where Marseille is located, down in the south, uh, one of the bigger cities in France. You, again, have about one church for every 10,000. It's not quite as good. The next one is the Nord. This is the part that re, uh, borders Belgium. The Nord is the most populous region in France. And you have about one church for every 14,000 people, give or take. The next region is the Gironde. You have about one church for every 17,000 people. This one, the Loire-Atlantique, 66 churches in a whole region. In Hillsborough alone, if you do a quick Google search, you'll find just over 30 churches in Hillsborough. So this has only twice as many, and it's a whole region, not just a city. But one church for every 20,000 people. The Vendée, I don't know if you can see that, but it only has 17 churches. A whole region. 17 churches. Fewer than the city of Hillsborough. But one church for every 40,000 people. And then the one that gets me every time I see it, the Côte d'Armor. This is where uh, the Normandy region is. This is where the Allies invaded and began to take Europe, mainland Europe, back from the French um, quadrant. And there's a whole region here, 600,000 residents, and not a single church is registered with this French website. 600,000 people. You can't fit 600,000 people in most stadiums in the States, so obviously you're going to need a lot more churches than one. So we're looking forward to planting churches with the French church in regions like this, where there's very little happening. Where our interest is to go to places where there is so little opportunity to hear the gospel. We firmly believe that the light does shine the brightest where the darkness is thickest. So our vision, like I said, is to plant, help the French church plant churches in France. It's that simple. Help the French church plant churches in France, particularly among places where there is little opportunity to hear the gospel. We need partners, though. We are going on a support-raised model. Uh, we are wanting to do this ministry full-time. The... It, um, we are excited to do it full-time, but we need help from people like you. We can't go uh, without prayer. We need people to pray. France is rocky soil, and we're in for a bumpy ride. So we would appreciate... We have a table in the back, and there's all kinds of sign-ups you can do. Uh, if you want to sign up to be a prayer partner, please give us your email. We have a monthly update. You'll be able to pray with us, for us, and we would be so delighted to have you on board. We also uh, are, like I said, being funded by people like yourselves. And so if you are excited about this work, you are excited about being part of the French people 
seeing the light and hope and love and joy of the gospel, some for the very first time, we encourage you, please join us, be a part. And one way you can do that is by contributing monthly financially to us. Uh, that's a huge help for us. We need... Um, we need a support base, and we need people like you to be a part of our team. We'd be so honored to have you join us. Uh, if you feel like uh, maybe you can't contribute monthly, but you want to do something, we do have a one-time launch fund we need to raise funds for, things like visas and language school. These are one-time expenses. So, this We have an exciting update. We are 75% of the way for our monthly partnerships, which is absolutely thrilling for us. We are excited to think that this coming April, which is the plan, we could be on a plane heading to Paris where we'll do language school. Also, we're 93% funded for our one-time expenses. So we are absolutely over the moon. So, so delighted. We just need that last little push. So thank you for those of you who have been praying for us here, and uh, thank you for rejoicing with us with these victories. So we have a, a quote we have been leaning into a lot during this season. William Carey was a missionary to India in the 1800s, and uh, he said, I will go down if you will hold the rope. We're willing to go, but we're not willing to go alone. We need people to hold the rope for us. We need people to hold us steady when things get tough. And we will lean heavily on the people who are holding our rope. So we would be grateful to have you join. Let us know if you would like to or not. If Even if all you want is just to receive emails. We have a table. Please talk to us and we'll get you signed up. We also have some French candy. So if you want to taste of France, there it is. Yes, I know. Uh, we also have some tea and a little invitation to pray for the country of France. And so I would encourage you to stop by. We'd love to chat and love to see you guys. I want to transition now um, to Psalm 37. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37, we'll be starting in verse 1. It seemed fitting to talk about Psalm 37 in light of several conversations that I've had with folks here at Westside and things that have been going on in the world, things that have been going on in Heather's and I's lives. And I wanted to talk about Psalm 37 because Psalm 37 is how do you thrive in a world that is being shaken, in a world where you see evil, in a world where the, it seems like the evil people really have the upper hand and seem to be the powerful ones. How do we live in a world like this? So we're going to just walk through the first seven verses, pulling a few observations as we go out of each verse. But the question is, ultimately, how do we thrive? How do we thrive in a world that's shaking in a world where it looks like evil has the upper hand. We'll start with verse 1. So David wrote this psalm, and he says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Or don't worry about evildoers. And don't be envious of wrongdoers. Don't worry and don't envy. So it starts off with two don'ts. Don't worry and don't envy. I think when we see things beyond our control that are not good happening in this world, we have two responses. One, it frightens us. 
And two, I think if we're honest, a little part of ourselves wants some of the influence, the power, or maybe the, the lifestyle that these, some, some of the elements in this world have. Regardless of their moral value, we want it. And right away, David says, absolutely not. Don't worry and don't envy. Instead, what do we do? Instead, oh, uh, and why not? Because, verse 2, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. I don't know if ever you guys have hayed or seen a hay field or seen hay, but at one point that was green, and it didn't take long for it to get not green anymore. Uh, and he's comparing the same, uh, the evil in this world with with the grass of the field. Instead, what do we do? Verse 3, we trust in the Lord and we do good. We dwell in the land, and I love this, and we befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The psalm is full of advice for those of us in our circumstance who live in a world where things happen that are out of our control. And what are we supposed to do? We trust in the Lord and we do good. I think it's easy to paint good as this kind of big idea that we're never going to get to, or um, we think that, well, Mother Teresa was good, but anything up to that point isn't good enough, right? And I would just encourage you, you know what? Do the next best thing that comes to you. Do the next best thing. Trust God, and if you're wondering what do good, what, am I, what good am I supposed to do? Do the next best thing that presents itself. And delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love this, because we're not talking about how do we just eke out an existence in a world that's out of our control. We're talking about thriving, and he is all about this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Make Christ the sweetest part of your life. And the underlying truth to that, that we have to acknowledge, is we can do this because Christ is sweet. Because he is delightful. He is wonderful. And so that is an encouragement. In a world where things are out of control, don't focus on the out of control. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Which I think we can safely say our heart's desires will be aligned to his heart's desires when our heart yearns after him. And this is an important one for for me in my life. Verse 5, it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not. That word, fret. Don't worry. Don't be uh, frightened or anxious. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. I would encourage you to make this a discipline, this committing your way to the Lord. Encourage your, I would encourage you to make it an intentional mental thing that you do. Say, Lord, I'm committing this day into your hands. I did it many times with this message. Lord, I'm committing this message into your hands. It's in your hands. I will be faithful with my part, but ultimately I give it to you. Be faithful or commit, commit, and commit. It is as simple as a long drive. If you have a commute, God, I'm committing this drive to you. I really need you to take care of it. It takes the weight off of your shoulders. And really, I think that's where the thriving in this world happens. When things are out of control, if you try to control them, you're just going to exhaust yourself. 
But if you commit and you say, God, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to commit this into your hands and let you take it, that is where life can start. Because no longer are you the one bearing the burden. Your job, you delight, you trust. His job takes care of the rest. You delight, you trust, you commit, you give, you put it into his lap. His job, he takes care of it, and he takes care of you. So that's my encouragement. As we go through a world that's unpredictable, it's my encouragement to myself as Heather and I are stepping off into some serious unknowns. And it's my encouragement here to Westside as things have been shifting over this last year, and there have been movements and um there is just so much potential when you just commit and your job is to delight, enjoy, soak Jesus up for all his life-giving things that he has to offer, his joy, his peace. So let me just pray that that really does become a reality for us here, that we can grow more in delighting and in trusting and instead grow more and also grow more in committing and in giving to him and letting God take care of the rest. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you came to give us life. Thank you so much that there is um, a whole different way of living than what the world sees. A way that relies on you. A way that is fueled and is driven by you. And so we are so grateful for um, that life that you have given us. Help us to grow in it. Help us to delight in you. And would you align our hearts' desires with yours? Amen.